Thank you, Dan. I was just informed that uh, my microphone was on while I was singing. <laughs> I'm thankful you couldn't hear me, but the whole team heard me singing. <laughs> Bob said I had a duet going with Jennifer. Oh, my. Poor Jennifer. Sorry about that, Jennifer. <laughs> Having that in your ear. I do know how to make a joyful noise. It is joyful. I, I will, I'll give it that much. It's joyful. Well, that, that's a great reading, and it takes us into our text for the day. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. What Dan read, read for us is at the tail end of the section that we're reading, which is the explanation of the parable. But we're going to begin in verse 24, where Jesus first shares the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And before we get into the Word, I, I just want to say that uh, we, we started this Matthew series with the idea of understanding that while we don't have a physical kingdom of God on this earth at this time, there is a spiritual kingdom of God that is very much real. And as his children, as those who believe in him, we should be living and functioning in that kingdom right now. In, in righteousness, peace, and joy. That's where the kingdom, that's how it manifests right now. Now, a kingdom is coming. Jesus, when he returns, will establish an earthly kingdom. But that's not yet. We're still in the church age, and in this age, it's a spiritual kingdom. We carry it in our hearts and in our minds. And that's especially important to know in this day when everything in the physical realm seems to be either falling apart, disintegrating, or in decay. So much is happening in the world on a daily basis. And what Matthew's gospel points us to is that Jesus is the king. He, he's the king whether it looks like there's victory or not. Whether it looks like defeat, like something has gone completely upside down, sideways, he's still the king. We are still part of his kingdom. God is sovereign. Nothing gets beyond God. God is in everything. He sees everything. He allows everything. He orders up much of what we see today. Most of us as Christians, we ride these waves of excitement and thrill, and then we go into these valleys of, of just despair and despondency because we're living in what we can see in the moment. We, we as Christians and as people on this earth, we, we live with our face smashed up against the now, what's happening right now. And in this age of communication, with social media and, and everything we have, there's stuff bombarding us in our face every day. But it's the stuff that's happening now. And that is not the atmosphere that God works from. Sovereign God doesn't function out of the now. He doesn't function out of time and space. He, he, he functions beyond time and space. He sees everything at the same time, past, present, future. If we could, just to show you, the point of, the, of this, this whole gospel is that the kingdom of heaven is real and it's here now and we need to rest in it. We need to pause long enough to take a deep breath and know that God has everything under control. If, if, if we just try to get a picture of what we see versus what God knows and what God's doing, we, we, we would just laugh at how ridiculous we are to get all worked up, even to get angry at God, to be frustrated with God. You would think we know as much as he knows, and therefore he's wrong for doing what he's doing when he does it the way he does it. But the reality is we don't see we see hardly anything for what he sees. But because we have now smashed up against our faith, that's all we see. It's kind of like this stir stick that you'd use with your coffee just to give you the picture, uh, just a, a very small, this is not a good illustration, but it's an illustration nonetheless, 
of what we see in the now. There it is. That's what I see. Now think about the guy who is seeing what he's seeing through this little stir stick, and he goes, come on, God, what's the problem? What, what are you doing? Don't you see what I see? And God sees everything. And we can get so frustrated over what happens in life and disappointed. We can see the death of a child. We can see uh, someone losing a job. We can see a single mom left to care for her kids alone. And we just think, what in the world? Where is God in all of this? In all of what? In all of this. All of this. And yet God sees everything that's already happened right now. Everything that's going to happen that has not yet happened. He sees it right now. And he sees right now. And he's working through all of it. I just want us to get that picture. I want us to be able to stop, back away from now, and begin to let the word of God pour over your spirit and over your mind and wash you to where you're able to breathe again, spiritually speaking. Breathe in the sovereignty of your God, the greatness of your God, the awesomeness of your God. Breathe in the everlasting words of truth in Scripture. Breathe in what Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Breathe it in. Find your rest, find your peace, find your joy, find your righteousness, find your strength in those things. You'll never find it in the now. The now's real, it's happening, but your now is not even all of the now. It's just a little piece, a tiny little shriver, a shrivel of the, of the now. God has all the now, and he's at work. That's why I loved about the, the songs we sang today. They really did point us back to God, didn't they? I needed that today. How about you? Amen. Amen. Well, as we get into the parables, and remember parable, para in the Greek is to come alongside. It's a, it's a preposition, and that's what the parable does. The parable is a story that the people would be familiar with in their day of living. So Jesus is taking ideas that they understand. He talked about salt and light. They used salt. They needed light. They knew what darkness was, and light dispels darkness. He talked about building a house on sand versus building a house on rock. People knew the difference between the two. They knew that to build on sand, it's going to crumble. To build it on rock, it's going to stay. He, he, he gave many parables to the people. And the parable, though, at this point in the game, as we get into Matthew 13, Jesus has been receiving negative, uh, contemptible, evil uh, questions from the religious leaders, and he's been listening to the people as they have been wanting him to perform miracles and signs and wonders, but they've not been really listening to his message. Jesus is talking about a spiritual kingdom with them, but they're only listening for what he can give them in the now, and they're only wanting a future kingdom to come now. That is an earthly kingdom. Stand up against the Romans, take out the wicked Hebrews that are leading us, and let's get on with life the way it ought to be. And so Jesus begins to speak in parables because while a parable does relay an, a, a, a story you understand from life, it's supposed to be parallel to the Bible teaching that Jesus is giving. And that teaching is not understandable. It's a mystery. So a parable is a story you understand but it's, a, it's, a, it's running side by side with a truth that's hidden. 
And the reason Jesus is speaking that way with people is because they've rejected his message. So therefore, those who, who don't want to hear, they won't. He's not going to allow them to understand it. And then later, he'll come back with the same parable like he does here, and he shares the parable in a more private setting with his followers. He wants them to understand the spiritual truth behind that parallel story. Make sense? So that's where we are in this. Let's pick it up at verse 24, and we're going to study this. Now, just to set up this particular passage of Scripture, last week we looked at the parable of the sower, or as I called it, the parable of the soils. The reason why? Because it talks a whole lot more about soil than it does the sower. And in that parable, Jesus tells us that the soil is the heart. That's the heart of man. And the seed is the word of God, and it's the gospel. And, and that seed is to fall upon the soil, the hearts of men. But there's different kinds of hearts of men, different kinds of soil that the seed falls into. And he spoke of four different types of soil, and only one of the four would actually receive the seed. Only one of four would bring a germination by the Spirit of God and bring up a harvest, okay? So whether a person receives the gospel or not isn't predicated upon how we share it. It's predicated more on that particular heart that the seed falls into. And that's, that ought to be a relief to some of you who think, oh, man, I just can't say it. I can't share the gospel the way other people can. I'm just not gifted to do that. And so we think, why, why even try? The reality is the parable's not about you. All it says about the sower is he was faithful to reach in the seed bag and pull out some seed and throw it. And he threw it on all four types of soil. He didn't determine which, okay, I don't want to throw it on that. Let me just come over here and let me just put some seed out here. No, no. He just broadcast it. That's the word literally translated from the Greek, broadcast. He threw it everywhere. The only thing the sower does is throw the seed. The only thing a believer should do in this life is be faithful to reach into the seed bag that God's given you where the Word of God resides in your heart and you take it and you share it. You get it out to other people. That's your job. That's it. That's the beginning and that's the end. That's the work that you're to do in the kingdom. Remember when Jesus or when, the, when Paul said that uh, for we are all were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them? The good work that he prepared beforehand was that you would be a good seed thrower. That's really what he wants from you. The, the, that parable is more about God's work by the Holy Spirit to bring the seed to fertile soil. And there are other types of soil that are not fertile. Three types. So that's what we learned last week. And that lines up with John chapter 6, verse 44 where Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the only way that there's going to be a good soil is that if there is a divinely prepared soil by God, and the Spirit of God has come and convicts the heart of that individual. See, you don't know. You say, well, then why, should we, why even try if only one out of four is going to get it? Because you don't know which one's going to be the one that gets it. And even after you share it and they reject it, you still, down the road, have another opportunity to throw some more seed. Because as you do that, believe me, God's Spirit does His work. And He knows who will open themselves to receive that seed, okay? So this week, interestingly, we're going to look at several parables about the kingdom of heaven from a negative view. That was from a positive view. That when it falls on fertile soil, what happens? The seed germinates, and then it begins to produce fruit, some 30, 60, or 100-fold. That's, that's how, that's the only way that Jesus describes that we can know whether someone is saved or not, is the fruit that comes up in their life. He didn't say they were saved by works, but he says you're saved unto good works. You, if you're truly saved, you will bear fruit. Okay, so now, this week, we're not going to have a positive parable. A parable. We're going to look at three or four negative parables that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven. So, why did Jesus give us these negative parables? Well, 
When he first announced the kingdom of heaven, many of his hearers expected an immediate disruption of society. They wanted Jesus to take over, deal with the Romans, deal with the wicked Jewish leaders, and, and let's, let's get the kingdom on uh, right here, right now. But that's not what he came to do. They wanted a quick, clean separation between darkness and light. We're the children of light. They're the children of darkness. Lord, put up the walls. Let's establish the kingdom of light. Well, there's a lot of Americans who are wanting that very thing in this nation. We want it now. We want the kingdom of darkness to be kept out, and we want the kingdom of light to be protected from the kingdom of darkness. I got to tell you, that doesn't necessarily line up with what Jesus is teaching here. Okay, I waited a good few seconds for an amen and never got one. I know it's not popular. It's okay. We're not here to teach, preach, share the things that we like to hear, right? We need the Word of God, especially in this day. This is not the time when Jesus is establishing an earthly kingdom. In his day, he did not pay attention to slavery. He didn't pay attention to women who were being taken advantage of by, the, by the, those who were married. A man could divorce his wife simply if she made the coffee the wrong way. And he didn't deal with any of that. He didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to prepare hearts of believers to receive and be part of a spiritual kingdom, even though they have big-time problems in the world today, in his day. And so these parables are told because now he's going to open up and he's going to share that uh, there are a lot of things that are not good that are happening while you're faithful to throw the seed in this world. And just know it's the way it is. And stop trying so hard to get rid of it all. God's sovereign. He sees everything. If he wanted to get rid of it, he could. He doesn't. He's letting it play out for an end result that, believe me, you and I are going to like a lot. But we need to let God be God and not get in his way. God the Father is yet to judge our sin. You say, why wouldn't Jesus... Why wouldn't he go ahead and, and, and just be positive and share and let the kingdom be established? Because he's yet to carry out his work on the cross. That hasn't happened yet. The reason, he's, the reason he's addressing the influences of evil and corruption in these parables is because that's what they were facing, and he's not ready to establish in the heart of man, a new life. He, he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't died for them. They've not been redeemed. The Father has not yet put on the Son the sins of mankind. That's all still to come. So this is not speaking of the church age. The church hasn't even started yet. This is the kingdom community age. This is Christ on the earth. He's establishing who he is as a son of God. He's teaching about the kingdom and he's drawing believers in him, the Son of God, as a community together, a kingdom community. But he's saying, know that while you might be in the kingdom community, that community also has evil in it, around it, among it. And the world is corrupt. So just know that you need to keep throwing the seed back, the seed, not the seed back, throw the seed out of the seed bag and be faithful to it in this time, if you want to focus on something in life right now, focus on being a good Christian and throwing the Word of God out as often as you can everywhere you can. Stay in the Word, study the Word, live by the Word, meditate upon the Word, trust in the Word, trust in Jesus. You have a personal relationship with God through Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is living in you as a, as a pledge of that relationship. Live out that. Let that be the focus of your life. The church age has not yet come. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit has not been given yet to the believers. 
So at this time, Jesus is establishing a spiritual community of believers who must learn about the spiritual kingdom that is present in this fallen world. And, and it's filled, by the way, with unbelievers. The world is filled with unbelievers, not believers. So let's look at the parable. All of that to say this. Verse 24, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Aren't we supposed to be a Christian nation? We've never been a Christian nation. We have founding documents that are clearly based upon strong biblical Judeo-Christian principles and truth. But we had founding fathers who were deists. They were not believers in Christ. So this has never been a Christian nation that way. See, we keep wanting to go back to something in our mind that we had. We've never had it. And that's not the answer in this age anyway. Verse 28, he said to them, an enemy has done this. The master said, the enemy's done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them, gather all the weeds? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into my barn. That's the first parable. In this parable, a man goes out and sows good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then the enemy moved on. Notice his enemy didn't destroy the good seed. He didn't attack the good seed. He didn't try to take out the good seed. But while, okay, but you say, well, why? Why didn't he do that? Because he can't. Let's understand this. The enemy didn't destroy it because the enemy here is Satan. The seed that the master sowed was what? It's you and I coming up as wheat. How is it sown? By the gospel being shared. That seed is like a gospel going in the ground and it brings up you and I. Satan has no power over the Word of God. He can't take out the Word. So he, what does he do? The next best thing. Just put a lot of weeds in around the Word so that we can get people confused about the Word and the Word gets stifled out by all the weeds. In the last parable, the weeds rec- represented the worldly thinking and the cares of the world that, that crowd out the good seed of the Gospel. And there are many people today who are not walking with God because they heard the gospel, but then the weeds, the world, the ways of the world, all the things that they own, the possessions, the money, it crowded out the seed. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Interesting in that, it doesn't say that the Word of God is a sword. We've always thought that, and that's okay. That's a good thought, you know. But what it says is it's sharper than any two-edged sword. If you really want to know at the original language, look at that word closely, it refers to a much smaller uh, knife. A sword, you think of a sword... This is about this large. It's more like a dagger. It's more like an instrument in the hands of an assassin. The Word of God is lighter. The Word of God is maneuverable, like a surgeon who goes in and knows where to cut in the body to eradicate the problem. The Word of God is sharp, like a two-edged sword, but it's not a sword. It's more like a smaller knife, a scalpel that does its work 
in close quarters. It's not this big sword, you know, from the, uh, from the Middle Ages that you can't even hardly lift it, ah, swing. No, it's a, when the enemy comes upon you, you pull out the dagger. You pull out the scalpel. And you can slice and dice, and he can't do nothing about it. That's the word of God. Paul spoke of the word that is in the believer. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he said, and, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Listen to this. Which is at work in you believers. So that word, when you receive the word, like a message today, or you're listening to a, a, a good uh, sermon or teaching, or you are in your Bible study, doing your thing, learning the word of God, you, you are, you're receiving in the word of God. And the word of God lives forever. It'll never pass away. It's the greatest thing about you is God's word in you, other than the fact that the Holy Spirit is a promise that you belong to God in relationship with him. Now, listen to what God spoke through Isaiah in Isaiah 55, verse 10, and also in Jeremiah 23, 29. In Jeremiah, he said this, is not my word like fire? Declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks, that, that breaks the rock in pieces, that, that little scalpel, it's like a fire. I hear Christians today always talking about fire, Lord, bring the fire. We want the fire. You don't want the fire. Most of the time when the Bible speaks of fire, it speaks of judgment. Who would in the world's wing, Lord, judge me, judge me, Lord. Or, or in this case, a fire is representing something that's going to do a work in me. It's not about you having fire so you can have this ecstatic, emotional five senses, sensuality experience. It's, Lord, reveal your truth to me. Let it be like a fire in me. Let it burn off all the dross of the mess that I've believed that has no truth in it. And then you go to Isaiah 55.10, where God spoke to Isaiah the prophet and said, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there." return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which i purpose and shall succeed in the things for which i sent it that's that ought to comfort you in your personal life first and foremost that god's word is true and his promises are true and it will be amen and, and then it ought to comfort you as a sower, that when you, you, when you are faithful to share the word, it doesn't matter how they respond to it. That word's not going to return to you. It's, it's in them now. It's on them. The Holy Spirit will use it to just slice and dice them up. He's going to use his word to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And so the word is so powerful. And that word brings forth a harvest of wheat, and Satan can't do anything about the word. He's powerless to the word. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan appeared to him? How did Jesus defeat Satan? As it is written. As it is written. He just spoke the word. And Satan couldn't do anything. He's powerless. The same is true for you. So be in the word. Get in the word. Look, the word has the power to save people. Not you, not your ability. The word. The gospel has the power to save. Amen? Amen? If you're defending the faith against a skeptic or a cynic, don't be afraid or embarrassed by the word of God. Some of you are afraid to even carry a Bible around. Why in the world, in, in, in this day that we live when the world needs the gospel, are we afraid to carry the Bible? Of all days, I guarantee you right now in heaven, if, 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 if you and I could hear the conversation between God and Paul right now, and Paul saying, Lord, let me get back there now. Just, just give me the word and let me go back. And Paul would just be, lighten people up with the word of God. Not in, not in meanness, not in cruelty, loving them with the word. The Bible said that Paul went from town to town and he would get to a, a, a town. The first thing he'd do is go to the synagogue. He'd go to the temple. Why? Because it says that from the scripture he would teach who Jesus is. 
Well, so wait a minute, what scripture? The Old Testament. From the Old Testament, he would teach who Jesus is. Paul loved the word and he shared the word and people got saved. Not because of Paul, but because of the word that he shared faithfully. Amen? And so, so you know, if you're, if you're out there and, and you're trying to minister to a skeptic or a critic, uh, don't be embarrassed by the word. Use it. Let it speak. Listen, Christian, you're not going into a knife fight with a spork here, okay? You, you are carrying a weapon that this world cannot possibly match when you go into a discussion with someone. Wield it. Use it. Like the old preacher said, the Bible is a lion. You don't need to defend lions. You just open the cage and let them out. So open your mouth and let the Lord fill it with his word this week. I was at a countywide Body of Christ event in Palm Beach County many years ago. And I was sitting on the stage next to, next to some pastor friends. We had a big Body of Christ event. And I had my Bible propped on my lap, and somebody behind me said something to me. And I turned around, and my Bible fell off. And Keith Thomas, pastor at First Baptist in West Palm Beach, sitting right next to me, goes, whoa! He goes, man, be careful of that thing. It'll cut your leg off. <laughs> Amen! He gets it. That's what the Word of God will do. The only reason Satan doesn't attack the Word is because he can't. He knows he can't defeat the work of the Word, so he tries to distract men from receiving it. That's all he can do, right? He tries to attack. So this parable describes the work of an enemy who tried to destroy the work of man, the man who sowed good seed in the field. And again, the enemy's purpose in sowing weeds among the wheat was to crowd out the wheat. But this time, the character of the parable uh, is different than the last time, the, than the parable of the sower. This parable describes the amount of disruption and corruption that happens in this world, listen, among believers. Here the wheat represents the people of God and Satan has placed a corrupting influence. What is that corrupting influence? What are the weeds representing? Unbelievers. But now, hang on. Unbelievers, false believers, not unbelievers, I'm sorry, False believers who make you believe that they are real believers. They look genuine. This is probably referring to a weed that grows in Palestine called Darnell. Darnell comes from the wheat family. And as it grows, it looks just like wheat. You can't tell the difference between darnel and wheat. You don't know the difference until it comes to maturity and is ready for harvest. That's when you can see the difference between the weed and the wheat. We're living in an age when there are people who come across as believers. There are many ways, people say, people say many ways to God. You Christians are so narrow-minded. What's wrong with you? Don't you know that these other religions have existed for thousands of years, and yet you think that they're wrong? No. And this is the response you should give. No. I don't think anything. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Wide is the gate that leads to death, and many there are that find it. By the way, Satan doesn't put over the wide gate that leads to death. He doesn't write over a sign over the door and say, hell. Jesus said many find it. Who would go there if it says hell? Nobody would. It says heaven. They think there's many ways to God, and they go right through that wide gate. But there's only one gate that leads to life, and few find it. And what did Jesus say about that way? Listen, it's narrow. You have to be narrow-minded in a world that has open thinking. You've got to be able to discern right from wrong. And the only way you can know right from wrong is not by relative truth that the world gives, but by the word of God, which is absolute all the time, always has been, always will be truth.
even in this day, it's truth. And the more you know the word, the more you'll discern what is not real that the world is saying is real. This is a very important thing here, what Jesus is saying. Uh, Jesus is teaching us that he waits until it's time to harvest the wheat before he separates the weeds. So the ultimate action against the weeds won't happen until the end at the harvest. Now again, don't parallel this to the church. He's not talking about the church here. He's talking about the community of believers in the kingdom of heaven while he was on the earth. That in that period of time, while he was walking around teaching the crowds, some were believing, others were not believing, and others were faking it like they were believing. The Pharisees, they acted so religious, right? That's what he's addressing here. Verse 31, he put another parable before them. In this next parable, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grow, has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Again, this has been often misunderstood as a parable. Some believe it's talking about the church and that the church is just grows and grows until finally it provides coverage for all the birds and all the animals and the shade from the tree. That's not what it's talking about. I, I beg to respectfully differ. I, I believe this is a negative parable, just like the last one. You've got to look at the context when you read the Bible. Jesus has been dealing with corruption. He's been dealing with those who are in opposition to him, and so he now is hiding the truth, and now he's starting with First, he tells you what you must be. You must be a sower, throw the seed no matter what. And then he starts talking about the negative, that in the kingdom of heaven, among the kingdom, there are these weeds and there are these things that are not me while they look like they're me. And so this is an interesting parable because if you look at this parable in light of the context, you're going to see that it falls in line with the parable, last parable of the wheat and the weeds. Now, the problem with growing a mustard seed is that it never grows beyond the size of a bush. This, this is a tree. That is an unnatural growth. Okay? Um, this, this is not, most of them are plants. Some become bushes. But none of them become these huge trees. So this, that's not, look, in a parable, you're taking what people understand in life and you're tying a truth to it. They wouldn't have understood a mustard seed as a tree. That would not have made sense to them. This mustard tree is very large. It's unnatural. In the Old Testament, large trees are symbols of great empires recorded in Ezekiel and Daniel. Uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, birds are often seen as emissaries of Satan. Even in the New Testament, they're seen as emissaries of Satan. This large mustard tree is able to house or harbor birds. In the last parable, what did Jesus say? Some of the seed fell on the pathway, and because the ground was packed hard, the seed couldn't get down, and the birds came and took it away. Birds are not seen in a positive light in the last parable. I do not believe they're seen in a positive light here. What this parable describes is exactly what would happen in the kingdom just a few decades after Jesus would leave the scene. That would be when the Roman Empire was Christianized, and in that time, the church grew abnormally large. But was it all true, Christianity? No, it was not. Jesus, I believe, is giving a fair warning here, but he's not going to explain it to the people. He will later explain that to his disciples. Okay, And, and this large, influential, powerful church in the Roman, inside the Roman Empire would be able to handle and hide a lot of corruption and evil, the birds that would rest in the tree. Now he goes on, verse 33, tells another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like heaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Again, this is another misunderstood parable. Many Christians regard this as a beautiful picture of the kingdom of heaven working its way through the whole world. And like leaven, it's working through a lump of dough. It's actually bringing life. Well, let me share with you. 
Again, leaven consistently throughout the Old and New Testament is seen as a picture of sin and corruption. It's an influence of sin and corruption, especially in the Passover narrative found in Exodus, right? Don't put leaven. You don't have time for the leaven to rise, and it will, it will permeate, and it will influence the dough. No influence to the dough. Unleavened bread only that they would use. In this parable, a woman took an unnaturally large amount of flour, more than she could ever use with her family. Listen to me. Three measures of flour is actually more than a bushel of flour, okay? And a bushel of flour weighed about 42 pounds. She would have had to have been making bread for over 100 people. That's not typical to the people in that day. So what, again, a parable, parable is something that they understand. It makes sense to them. This doesn't make sense. This is way beyond what's normal, what's natural. Okay, So again, Jesus is trying to send a picture. It's not about the church and the gradual influence of the church that it sweeps through the world. The church hasn't even come yet. That hasn't even happened yet. In context with Matthew 13, he's talking about an increase of opposition in the world. An increase of opposition to the word of God. This parable reveals a further threat to the kingdom community through impurity that introduces corruption. This parable recognizes the pagan influence that is secretly, it said she hid the leaven inside the flour. She hid it. By the way, no Jew who saw a woman hide leaven in, in over a bushel of flour would ever think that's right. They would have been upset with that. This parable recognizes the pagan influence that is secretly being introduced among those who make up the kingdom community. So while Jesus is trying to communicate with the world that he's the son of God and he's preparing to usher in the church through the Holy Spirit, the world is busy around him working, the enemy, Satan, trying to plant weeds. And there are evil corrupt influences like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, who are constantly attacking him. And guess what? He's saying it will be the same with the disciples. This is just the way it's going to be. It's going to happen this way. And then he goes to verse 34, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he, had nothing to, uh, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus always and everything he ever did gave a parable. It just means that in this period of time in his ministry, he's come into opposition, therefore, I'm not going to let you understand what I'm talking about, even though I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven. I'm only going to reveal that through explanation to those who truly are believers and want to follow me. That's the period of time he's in right now. Now let's come back to this parable of the wheat and weeds and get Jesus' explanation on it. We close this out. Verse 36, then he left the crowd and went into the house. So now he's not among unbelievers. He's among believers. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay, so who's doing the sowing in this case? Jesus himself. In the last parable that we studied last week, we're the ones doing the sowing. It's a totally different parable. And, he, and, and so the field is the world. The field is not the church. The field is not the, is, it's not, uh, the heart of man like the last one. It's actually the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him here. So here is how this parable is different from the parable of the sower. The field represents the world, 
Last week, the soil represented different types of hearts. This week, the good seed represents God's true people and his kingdom, and the weeds represent false believers in the world who are the sons of the wicked one. But on the surface, they look like they belong to God. Hence why in the last year we've covered um, almost all of uh, Jude. That's funny to say we haven't even covered all of Jude. Jude's just one chapter, right? It's very short. But we didn't get to finish it because of COVID. So we kind of moved into another, another place. We felt like we needed to change that. We will come back and finish Jude. And we also covered all of Judges. Why? Because in this day that we're living in, there's a lot of similarities. Things aren't going well. People are drifting from God. Christians are struggling. And in the midst of all of this, there are those who are fake, who are among God's people, those who are not genuine. And the only way to know the difference is, and get this, this, is, this ought to be sobering and it ought to be convicting to all of us. The way you know the difference between a true believer and a false believer is a true believer bears fruit. Doesn't talk about it, doesn't wish it, doesn't complain or make excuse when it doesn't happen. They just bear fruit. They're faithful to throw the seed. And God does bring blessing to his name when we're faithful to his word. The points of the two parables are different as well. The parable of the sower shows how men receive and respond to the word of God. The parable of the wheat and weed shows how God will divide his true people from false believers. When? At the end. At the end. Now, the reason why Jesus shares this parable at this time is because when he announced the kingdom, many of his hearers expected an immediate dismantling of society. That's not what Jesus is about when he comes the first time. That's what he's about when he comes the next time. That hasn't happened yet. So we're not there yet. So stop trying to dismantle all the evil and just have these forms of good. Listen, reform is not the answer for America. And let me just tell you, I thank God for the, for the reforms that we saw happen the last four years. I thank God for the policies that I saw, especially when it comes to, to sanctity of human life. I thank God for that. But I'm going to tell you right now, reforms of a government are not the answer. What we need more than reform is heart change in America. We should be about heart change. What's that? The Holy Spirit regenerating someone's heart. How? Because you're faithful to throw the seed not based on the government. Government's not going to go out and throw the seed. That's not the purpose of the government. That's the purpose of you and I. Amen? As long as God's people are still in the world, the field, there will be unbelievers among them. But it shouldn't be because God's people receive unbelievers as if they're believers ignoring the fruit of the character. In the church, now we're in the church age, and the Bible does talk about church discipline. The Bible does talk about expelling a brother or a sister who because they're living in sin and now they're influencing others to that sin in the church, it says expel them, have them leave. Not, 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 not casting them into hell. We're not wishing them hell. We're simply not going to let them bring that corruptible influence into the church. And so while we are saying you can't come, we're also praying, Lord, while they're in the world, change them. Let them see the error of their way. And then we can receive them back. So even the end result is what? Reconciliation. The end result's not judgment. We don't wish that on anybody, right? But that's the church. That's a different age than what he's talking about here. In this parable, the enemy who sowed the weed is the devil. That means he plants counterfeit Christians in the world and in the kingdom community. And this is why being a member of the Christian community doesn't define a true believer in Christ. Just because you belong, just because you attend, just because you use the right words, because you know the songs and you sing them loud, just because you serve at the door by opening the door for people, just because you usher, whatever it is you do in the church, none of that saves you. It's those who bear fruit. What's the fruit? They cast the seed. They're faithful to share the word of God. 
they disciple one another. Sheep beget sheep. Pastors don't make sheep. Church programs don't make sheep. You, faithfully broadcasting. And then when somebody's saved, you, sharing what you know about Jesus with them. Oh, pastor, I could never do that. I don't know near as much as you do. First of all, you don't know how much I know. It ain't near as much as you think. <laughs> I am still every week spending time in the Word of God. There's so much I don't know. But the fact is, if you know less than I know, there are people out there who are getting saved or who are sitting in our church right now who know even less than you. You are the one that ought to be discipling them. You say, but I don't know much. You disciple them with what you know. Everybody ought to be discipling somebody. That's the church. Now, that's not an excuse to never learn more. You want to continually be in the Word, right? Learn to wield the weapon. Learn to share the weapon, to communicate the teaching of truth. This whole idea in Western civilization that somehow it all falls on the church staff and the pastor, they're the ones that do the teaching, wrong. Every one of us are called. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, he wasn't speaking it just to uh, the pastors. He was speaking it to his followers. Go into the world, preach the what? Gospel. Teaching them everything that I've commanded you. Everybody here ought to be doing that. We ought to be sharing and we ought to be teaching. At Bureau Bible Fellowship, everybody qualifies as a minister. Next time you go somewhere, you know, out in the community and somebody, hey, where do you worship? Oh, I, I worship at Bureau Bible Fellowship. Really? What's that church all about? Man, we're just a bunch of ministers trying to, what do you mean, ministers? You got a lot of ministers? You got a big staff? No, no, we're the ministers. What? Excuse me? Because, see, they're, they're used to this, this attractional model where you just come in and fill a pew chair and sit back and get the popcorn and let, entertain me, baby. Just feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. <laughs> and never share with anybody anything. God, help us that we not become a church, listen, that we evangelize for tares, for weeds. We're not here to raise up weeds. We're here to raise up wheat. Amen? So we don't want to water that down. Let's close this out. Verse 41, the Son of Man will send His angels. They will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. We just finished our Revelation series, and in that series we learned this. We learned that it is the angels that God will use to bring the judgment of God to the earth. They will be making profound statements that the earth will hear about the justice of God in the end. And then, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Who, he who has ears, let him hear. So the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, and the wicked will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not some other man, not somebody's opinion. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, says that there is a clear description of two different paths and two different eternal eternities. A furnace of fire represents one, and a radiant glory represents the other. And those are the only two. There's not a thousand ways to God. There are two. One gets you to God, capital G, the other gets you to little g, God. You become God in hell. Only then you find out that there's nothing you can rule. In fact, you're in total torment the rest of all of eternity. What makes it wheat is that it was sown by the Lord and his good seed, the gospel. All other forms of so-called wheat is just weeds. And I, it breaks my heart to think how churches cater to weeds. Let's do things in such a way that the weeds will like it. The world will like it. God help us. Listen, we want to be loving and caring and we want to minister to every single person the Lord sends to Vero Bible Fellowship. But we will never change what worship is at Vero Bible Fellowship. We worship God as, as wheat, not as weeds. Okay? So here's the question for you as we close. 
when's the last time you bore fruit? Jesus said if, you, if you're of him, you'll bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Nobody bears the same amount. We all bear different amounts, but we bear. There ought to be some fruit showing up somewhere. And if the fruit's not there, you've got to ask this question. So one of two things is true. I'm a Christian that's been sitting on my gluteus maximus and not allowing the Holy Spirit to do his wonderful, mighty work through me. And that's sinful, and I need to repent of that and allow the Spirit to have control. Or number two, I ain't really saved. If there's no fruit, and that's the only sign of true salvation, either you're, you're just not being faithful, or number two, you're not in. You're on the wrong path. It says heaven. It ain't heaven. And there's a lot of people on it. And they'll never know the radiant glory of God. Let's pray. Father, this is such a convicting message that now we just want to take a moment and just reflect personally. Reflect personally. Not thinking about our neighbor, not thinking about our spouse. Just keeping our thoughts in our own backyard. Letting the Spirit of God speak right now to us. you're here and you're saying man this is convicting i i i I honestly i'm not even sure i'm saved i just want to i never want to leave you walking out of here feeling condemned because we're not living in that age where god's condemning that that judgment's coming that's this is not it we want to do what we can to help you and all we can do is share the word with you that if you are not sure that you're saved you can make absolute certain of it today by receiving Jesus as your Savior, capital S. Believing that you are not God, you're not good enough to be God. In fact, you are a sinner. and You have fallen short to the glory of God. But by believing the word, that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came to take your sins upon Himself and let God pour out His anger and wrath so that sin could be judged. And then Jesus putting on those who believe in Him as the Son of God, putting on them His righteousness, clothing them in His righteousness. None of us have a righteousness of our own, Lord. Oh, God. We need your righteousness. And that happens spiritually. It happens very quickly by believing, by confessing that we're sinners, believing in our heart that God, that you raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. And in salvation, we have a regeneration that takes place by the Holy Spirit And now he indwells us. And every day he will give us the urgency, the sense of urgency. He will give us the strength. He will give us the clarity of understanding to be good seed throwers. He will convict us, Lord, when we are getting away from truth. And he will conform us faithfully to the image of Jesus Christ. So those who are receiving you, Lord, are not going to be alone tomorrow. The Holy Spirit comes in immediately. And now he takes ownership as we surrender our lives to you, Lord. And we begin the process of being seed throwers. Oh, what a joy. What a joy to be a believer and to cast the seed, the word of God that people might be saved. Hallelujah. Just in this moment, just receive him if you have not. Receive him by faith. If you're a believer and you've been 
lukewarm in your in your walk, Lord, I pray that there would be such a conviction that comes upon them that they would once again surrender, yield to the work of the Spirit and come alive in Christ Jesus by the study and the teaching of the Word, by prayer, by Christian fellowship, that they would begin to grow again, begin to live again, begin to experience victory again, and begin to work in the kingdom again. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the people that know the Lord said, Amen. Amen. This has been a good day for the church to gather and to study. And today we go home with a lot on our hearts and minds. And I'm going to ask you to continue to be very reflective personally. Don't let it just look, hey, don't let this fall on the pathway where the birds come and snatch it up before you even get home. Have a fertile heart to receive it. Walk in it. Meditate upon it. Let God do his work in you. Amen? Amen? Praise God. We've got a lot of souls that need Jesus. We've got a lot of work this week ahead of us. So let's get on with it. God bless each of you. Listen, as always, we want to make sure we minister to you, the church. So if you have any needs, or even if you're not saved and you're here and you want to just talk to somebody about a big-time problem in your life, come up. We've got prayer partners and elders who will be glad to pray with you, okay? So please come up and join us. God bless each of you.